Welcome to your queer story where your host, I am Evan Jones, the phenomenal, and with me is... And I'm Paul Hobbs, and I'm a flying rainbow unicorn. And this is episode four, and today we're going to talk about Marsha P. Johnson. Marsha was an African-American transgender woman who was an outspoken advocate for trans people of color and an LGBTQ rights activist. Uh, She was born on August 24th, 1945 in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Her parents were Malcolm Michael Sr. and Alberta Claiborne. Claiborne? Her father was an assembly line worker at General Mothers. At General Mothers. (laughs) Her father was an assembly line worker at General Motors. And her mother was a housekeeper. She had six siblings, four brothers, and two sisters. During her childhood, she attended an African... Oh my god, what is going on? I don't know. It's it's all this... What... It's, I don't ASMR. know. ASMR. ASMR. <laughs> you do the, ch- the the chest bumping and I'll do the noises. Go ahead, start. <laughs> We're going to make a killing off of this. Great. So, um, during uh, her childhood, she attended an African Methodist Episcopal. 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 If you knew a shred about a religion, you'd know that's Episcopal. Know during her childhood, she attended an African Methodist Episcopal. That's definitely not right, but whatever. That Church. is right. It's Capellian. <laughs> I know religion, okay? And was religious throughout her life, um, taking an interest in multiple different faiths. She states that she got married to Jesus Christ at 16 years old and that he is the only man she can really trust, and that is why she has never remarried. I don't know. He left her, so. All right. <laughs> oh, he didn't <laughs> leave her. He passed away. Though assigned male at birth, Marsha began to wear dresses at the age of five, but stopped temporarily because she would get harassed by boys who lived near her house. She states that she was once raped by another minor. Her mother told her that being homosexual is like being lower than a dog. Marsha defended her mother at the time, saying that she was unaware of the LGBTQ community. So, I mean, and this is, uh, what, what, what time period was this again? This was in 1945. So, I mean... Not a good time for, you know, um, not a good time for any, any person, but def- a person of color who's queer. Like, that's that's a tough one. I mean, you're already marginalized in society, and then your own group is further, you know, rejecting you. Yeah. What are you looking, are you, your cat is chewing its foot it's off. It's snapping something. Do you hear it? I see. I see. So, my dog does that. My dog would just sit there and chew on his foot for no, hours. No, he, like, bit it so hard something was snapping. Well, he doesn't want it anymore, okay? He's done with his foot. He doesn't <laughs> even need it. <laughs> so, at the age of 18, Marsha moved to Greenwich Village, New York. Everything you just say it how you want to say it. So, I'm, I want to say Greenwich, I'm but it's pretty, probably just Greenwich. I'm pretty positive it's Greenwich Village. Okay, so, Marsha moved to Greenwich Village, New York, uh, and when asked about her move, she said, My mother didn't even have to show me the door. Uh, she was really prepared to leave. She wanted to go live her own life and live how she wanted to. Yeah. And, I mean, once she had that opportunity, she just got up and left. And she actually left her home with $15 for a ticket to get there, uh, her high school diploma, and a bag of clothes. And on the streets... Wait, no, that doesn't make sense. So, she left with uh, just that stuff. No. Okay. You said... So, she, <laughs> she left her home with $15, her high school diploma, and a bag of clothes. She went out with absolutely no promise of a place to live, food to eat, or even a source of income. She kind of just left and took a leap of faith. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, there wasn't much there for her. I mean, as, again, like we're talking about a a queer person of color uh, in the nineteen. Well, by the, now it's the nineteen uh, late nineteen fifties. You know, Are, would you stop? I think with, it's like early nineteen sixties, right? Um, well, she's 18, so she's born in 1945. So Plus 20. Let me pull yeah, out my little hand calculator. 1963. <laughs> okay, 1963. <laughs> so, a queer person of color in the early 1960s and growing up in New Jersey. Like, Jesus Christ, of course she had to get out of there. Um, and we, I mean, like, both of us did that, did, like, moved out. I mean, I left, like, well, I was in my early 20s when I left. I was married. And I was living with my husband, and then I was like, nope, this is not for me. And, uh, like, I was, like, really involved in my church cult. And so I left and moved out, and I had, well, I got evicted. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I was on my own. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, I mean that, that was us. Like, we, you know, we both, like, found each other. We moved into your mom's house. Yes, so I actually really could have stayed at home for probably as long as I wanted. Yeah, because your mom's super supportive. She She's is. Great. Um, and so is my stepdad. Like, my whole yeah. family really was great. Um, so we moved in together, but then Evan actually moved across the country. Yeah. And um, I moved out here. I didn't have much, but I luckily had the promise of a place to stay and food to eat. So, I mean, the thought of having absolutely yeah. no nothing like not even i don't even know if she knew anybody out there yeah, like she I don't just know. went that's that yeah that take, that takes a lot of guts because like i don't know like and you even like it felt so bad because when you came out here to the east coast like i didn't have anything either. i only came well i came out i did have a job and then i was with a girlfriend at the time and i was living with her but i didn't i didn't know anybody else out here i knew her and that was it and i you know i had a company that i was working for and then you came out you had no job you had no, like, you were staying with us. And then, like, we went to that crappy car dealership in fucking Boston. <laughs> Remember? It was they, so far. It was so far. We drove f- through Boston, which is the f- worst place in the world to drive through. I hate Boston. We're from Chicago. Everything is on a grid in Chicago. It's really nice and neat and easy to drive. And Boston is like someone dropped a plate of spaghetti on a map and we're like just make roads out of these just they draw all, it wherever and every single one of them is one way so if you make a wrong turn <laughs> nope. good you take 10 minutes coming around the whole city to get back to where you need to go and then we drive over this bridge that's like four bridges bridges should not be more than one level Boston what are we doing here who's like you know what we'll do we'll just add another level and there was literally four <laughs> levels of bridges <laughs> And they're all under construction, and it was the creepiest thing. There's lights on the side. We're driving through a tunnel on a bridge in Boston to go to this shitty, shitty car dealership that ended up swindling Paul out of $800. His last $800. Yeah, but you know what? Here I am today, and I'm doing all right, so. I'm still better about it. I still occasionally think about finding the right involved with you. I think so bad about it. <laughs> So I have some resentment issues. Just a little bit. But yeah, but yeah, I mean, just doing that, like only knowing a few people is scary. So I can't imagine going to the city like New York City. It's so big and just like there's just so much It's so intimidating, but it's also also amazing. But yeah. I hate New York. Uh Uh-oh. I like New York. Well, okay. I like the idea of New York, but when you get there (laughs) and you're literally shoulder to shoulder with everybody... 
all the time. It's true. You're like, New York's going to be great. And then you're shoved on a subway and you're like trying to figure out where you get off. And, <laughs> and you're just always touching people because there's so many people. Like I have a bubble and I need space. And like, it, it's just too much for me. I had a lady at a store the other day. I was in a store and this like lady's checking out and, and the person behind her was like right up on her ass. Okay. And the lady checking out turns around to the person and goes, this is a bubble. Do you know what a bubble is? This is my bubble and you're stepping in my bubble. I'm going to need you to step back. I was like, good for you, honey. Good for you it's standing up for you It's a lot of people are bubble. like a lot. Like they're just too much. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. So Marsha originally began working as a waitress. Eventually, however, she was kicked out of the restaurant industry and learned how to ask for money on the streets. At the same time, she also learned how to go out with different men that's in quotations, and to get treated by them. She did what she had to to survive. Right, I mean, so she, I mean, she started off as a waitress, still living on the streets, um, mm-hmm. and she basically, I mean, the way she says it is she learned how to hustle. She yeah. learned to survive, and basically, you know, she did uh, prostitute for money because, mm-hmm. you know, she says that she learned that her body was worth some money so she you know did what she had to to get by yeah i mean well this is a lot of of queer people are are still put in this position a lot of um lgbtq youth are kicked out of their homes i mean i had friends that were kicked out of their house when they were teenagers Uh, you know i'm thinking of one friend in particular he was 16 years old and his family just kicked him out because he came out as gay and i mean and for transgender youth it's even higher and they're living on these streets. They have no skills. They've been abandoned by everyone that they know. And they do what they need to survive. And then, you know, people have the audacity to turn around and judge them for that. You know? Yep. And again, this is the 1960s. Like, she is already... Now, at this time, was she, like, presenting as a woman often? Or was she still presenting as a man? <laughs> so, um... It doesn't really say if initially when she, well, at least that I could find that Mm -hmm. um, when she moved there, if she was presenting as a man originally. I do know that when she was uh, prostituting, it was as Marsha. Like she she was was presenting as a woman. woman. Okay. All right. So, yeah. So, I mean, and yeah. And either way, yeah. So, like, so she's presenting as a woman, at least at some points, um, you know, there's something about her that people, that has to be um, open, right? Her mother... Um, telling her that homosexuals are lower than dogs. I mean, somewhere along the lines, she like people know that she's different, right? And by their standards, and um, so yeah, so she doesn't have a lot of options. Society's basically told her that they don't want her. Her family's told her that they don't want her. And, and I do want to say that even though she's going through all this and being, you know, presumably put down left and right by society, she always maintains a positive. Mm-hmm. Uh, persona and is yeah. always very kind and generous and always loving. Yeah. Um, and she built a reputation around herself on being this beautifully kind person and so yeah. generous, um, even though she had nothing. I, I, I mean, that was the feel, that's what I got a lot too from you did more research on this than I did, but on this, the research that I got, it's just a very, very kind woman, very caring. And, you know, someone who's been down and out like that. You know, they, I, they think they get it. I mean, not everyone. There's, there's certainly people that have been down and out and then they go on and it's like, they forget everyone else. But I feel like she always was very in touch with who she was and where she had come from and what she had been through and had a real heart for others. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, 
Originally, people would actually call her Michelle, wow. but she decided that that was not a name for um, herself. Mm-hmm. So she began to go by Black Marsha. Um, and then at the age of 22, she actually legally changed her name to Marsha P. Johnson. And whenever anybody asked what the P stood for, she would respond with, pay it no mind. Always with the snap. There had to be a snap. That was, that was the signature. <laughs> yeah, that's incredible. Like, I went through a name change here. and A it, name change. <laughs> I did a. You've changed your name like 20 times. <laughs> <laughs> I have changed my name often, but it's not because I'm just throwing names around. I was adopted, and then I was married, and then I was divorced, and then I legally, like, changed my name for, like, my transition. And this is the last time I'm doing it. I, I put So, it you know when you're filling out legal paperwork and it says like please list the previous name used he has to be like can i have extra paper please <laughs> i'm gonna need an extra sheet thank you <laughs> i went to the social security office this last time and the lady's like you know you're only allowed to change your name 10 times in your lifetime <laughs> and i was like thank you barbara how about you mind your business pay it, pay it no mind pay it no mind no this time is the last this is my name i've got it it's mine. If somebody else wants to take it, they can. But I am not getting rid of this one. I'm done. I'm done with name changes. Jesus Christ. I can't do it again. I've been doing this since I was 10 years old. So uh, so I was saying I've been done name changes. As someone who knows a thing about name changes, even today in in, in the, you know, 2018, it's a lot to change your name. It's a lot of, so I don't, it like blows my mind. By now we're 1967 and she's filing for a name change and she's filing for a female name change. Yeah, you know what? I wish I would have done a little bit more research into that because it didn't, I mean, it just didn't even occur to me at the time. Like she's, you know, transitioning from her given birth name to which was, uh, you know, a male name to a female name, and mm-hmm. it was done. Like, and, I, and I they did it. I, I can't. I'm very surprised. That, yeah, they, I mean, I know that they, they like, people change their name. We've, we've got, uh, you know, a few, we have some figures in, in transgender history where people change their name legally, but, um, you know, I, I like to do some research into that, too, because there weren't that many people who had done it. And I don't know that she ever underwent any kind of sex reassignment surgery. Yeah, I never found any. Yeah, any, uh, I didn't, it doesn't seem that. that she ever did. So, like, the people that I saw had changed had gone, had undergone sex reassignment surgery. So, I don't know. that. I mean, that must not have been a requirement. But, yeah. I mean, like, kudos to you, Marsha. Mm-hmm. A lot of respect. So, um, this name change actually once got her out of court. Uh, so, first I want to say how she got into court. So she was on the streets of New York City, and she was doing her thing, and police officers came up to her and asked her why she was on the streets. And she swung her handbag at them and hit the police officers with her handbag full of bricks. <laughs> Which, smart move, Marsha, so, because I'm, she's <laughs> stuffing her bag full of bricks. So if some motherfucker tries to mess with her, she's yeah, ready. Yeah, I, I think that's pretty incredible. Yeah. So she ends up in court, and then the judge asked her what the court, what the piece, oh, so first he says... Marsha P. Johnson, and she has this hilarious voice. She just goes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then the judge asks her what the P stands for, and she just goes, pay it no mind. And the judge laughed, and he said, you know what? That's actually what I'm going to do. Just get out of here. Yeah. And he dismissed the charges, and on she went. Yeah. And when we say hilarious voice, like, Marsha was a drag queen, like, later on we talk about that. And so she, like, I don't, she is very, she had a very good sense of humor. She was a very oh, funny yes. woman. She was you can Com- see a lot of clips of you can watch a lot of clips of her yeah 
She's funny. Everything she answers with a sense of humor. Yeah. Um, and she's always lighthearted in her answers. And you can tell that she really is just a genuinely, like, joyous person. She yeah. loves She loves her life. Yeah. Yeah. She's a, she's a really great role model for people. You know, like, I appreciate that, especially a transgender individual coming out and and showing you that you can love your life and even if it's not perfect because it's not perfect you know it's not going to be perfect living trans is not perfect we're not there yet and and this woman in the 60s and 70s and throughout her life lived i mean she she maintained this positive all the shit she goes through she maintains this positive demeanor and like and she'll like that's what you need you know i i I know that and we're going to talk we mentioned we'll mention in a minute like everything's not perfect i'm not saying that you have to be happy 24 7 i'm just saying like if you've made the decision to live your life live your fucking life absolutely all right so life on the streets was never easy for marcia she had very little to live on and was considered by some as sort of a robin hood her friends recalled the many times she would give them the last ten dollars give her last ten dollars away Sharing all of her food, money, and possessions with other street people came as a natural act for her. She knew the pains of hunger and wanted to help every person that she could. A friend recounted a time at one point when a baby queen, so that's a new drag queen, Mm -hmm. told Marsha how she loved her brooch, and Marsha immediately took it off and gave it away without hesitation. And this is a person who has nothing, Yeah. and every time she gets something, she gives it away. Yeah. Without... A second thought without any kind of question like, oh, you like it here. You have less. Take it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You talked about how she would go around handing out like yeah. so cookies. And- her and her friend Willie, which we'll get into <laughs> later, um, he actually states that, you know, they had their last $2. This is the only money they had to their name, $2. They bought a box of cookies with it. And they walked down the streets. And by the time they got home, Marsha had given away every single every last cookie out of that mm. package to people on the streets because she knew that a chocolate chip cookie to a queen or a person living on the street was such a perfect present and it meant so much to them yeah yeah so um marcia actually became a familiar sight in greenwich village she was instantly identifiable with her eccentric looks uh she would wear exotic hats and jewelry which stood out to the public and attracted attention to her God, I got another one of those heart attack burps. Yes. <laughs> Paul's going to die on me, and I'm going to keep the podcast going because the show must go on. And then you're just going to have to do gay voice for my part. <laughs> so anyways, <laughs> so, they'll never know the difference. They'll never know. So she often wore crowns made of fresh flowers, tinsel, and even Christmas lights that actually lit up. Um, her clothing was always donated or bought at a thrift store. And actually, upon further research, I found that she would actually find clothing and other accessories out of trash and take it home and wash it and repurpose it. Yeah, well, she said, um, what was that what that quote she said? She goes, she goes, I'm not... Uh, another man's trash is another man's treasure. Yeah, but that's not the one. She was saying, <laughs> she was saying something about how um, she... I don't do serious drag because I can't afford it. Yes, so I think I said... But so she says... Um, I've always done drag, but I don't do serious drag because I don't have the money for it. (laughs) So she just does Marsha. She presents as a woman in whatever way that she perceives it. And she loved it and lived her life. And everybody loved Marsha. So obviously she was doing something right. Yeah. Um, Oh, it's right there. (laughs) there. That's where it was. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. 
when in women's attire, she went by Marsha. However, there were times when she went out as her male persona, oftentimes when she was experiencing mental health issues. We don't want to get into a lot of detail about her mental health, um, but we want to mention that she did experience some and um, just to let others know that they're not alone. Um, and a, a lot of times there's sensitivity around here because transgender individuals are so often like our enemies use that against us to say that, you know, well, of course, you know, you experience mental ill, you experience mental illness because you're transgender and they try to link the two. And the truth is people of all orientations and identities experience mental health issues. Absolutely. They're, you know, they are they are not together um and but uh, but she did she did battle it and like we talk about i mean we're talking about how what a positive and wonderful person she was and even though she struggled with mental health she still um she still maintained she still was a kind and giving person she still was a very positive and happy person and she you know she made the do the best that she could yeah so mm-hmm. mental health um is not a deciding factor on your life yeah. um you can experience and still live a happy, healthy, full, and joyous life. And Marsha did it. Yeah. She lived her life as she's living proof that no matter what you're battling, you can overcome it and, you know, live your life. Yeah. Um, so, Marsha performed in drag to help her get by. It was something she truly enjoyed. And when she performed, she uh, often sang. I couldn't really find any information on whether she, you know, did lip syncing or anything like that. I don't know if that was. Um, a popular drag art um, at, at time. that time period. Yeah. Um, from what I saw, from the clips I was able to find online, she did a lot of singing, and she did it intentionally bad. <laughs> so she actually um, was doing a uh, performance with the Hot Peaches, and she was given like a 50-second song. You know, most songs are like three minutes, three and a half minutes or so. So she was given this 50-second little bit. She goes out there and destroys the song every time. <laughs> Completely obliterates, obliterates it, like... You can't even pretend that it was good. Mm-hmm. People loved it, but um, someone taught her how to properly sing the song um, in the best that she could to where it was supposed to be vocally um, appealing. Mm-hmm. And she performed it that way, and um, the audience cheered. And then the next night, she went back out and performed it completely horrible. <laughs> and when she went back behind the stage, um, the guy asked, you know what happened? And she just says... They like it better that way. And, yeah. <laughs> and she was absolutely right. If you watch a video of her performing, the audience loves it. And it's not something... Um, the thing that they love isn't something that you can record. It's something that you experience. It's the experience of it. Yeah, right. it's the experience of watching her and her, and her personality. Right. You know? You're watching the performer. You're not necessarily listening to the performance. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you. I don't know if this is similar, but we had talked about how this is similar, like Miranda Sings, who we're both a fan of. Absolutely. And, and that's like her art. You know, it's taking these songs and being ridiculous. And as, as Marcia said, she didn't do serious drag. And I think that maybe that's why people loved right. her, her um, performing that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marsha was actually one of the first drag queens in the Snowball Inn because at this time it was an all male bar. And uh, when she goes to the door, she says, "She says, oh, motherfucker." She says, "When I first came to Stonewall, I was the only drag queen there. Just about, I said, honey, what do you think I am? A boy or a girl?'" And they didn't answer me, so I just went in. <laughs> and according to Sylvia Sylvia Rivera, 
The Stonewall was owned by the mafia, and gay people weren't allowed inside bars, so the mafia paid off the cops. Yeah, so, I mean, we're not... We're going to talk a little bit about Stonewall, the Stonewall incident, and one day in the far future, we'll do a episode on Stonewall in general. But, yeah, it wasn't that there was... There was underground gay clubs, so nothing was labeled a gay club or a gay bar at this time. You weren't allowed to. Homosexuals weren't allowed to meet and fraternize. Right. People, I don't think, think people realize that. And But a lot of... But, like, a lot of bars were, um, were co-opted, and they were just, like, they kind of made it their bar. Right. So... Yeah, but Marsha's life on the streets was never easy. Her and other people would be taken into jail for no reason at all. She had no safe havens. Her options were few and far between. Sometimes she would seek shelter in a bar, or she would try to pick up a couple of Johns with the hotel room for the night. She would stay with other street people in short-term locations, such as hotels or rented rooms. She used to sleep in the movies on 42nd Street. It was 99 cents before noon, and she would sometimes uh, sleep there. Yep, so, so she would, you know have 99 cents from whatever, um, you know, collecting money on the street, which she would ask for, or, you know, maybe tips from the night before. And then if she hadn't gotten any sleep, she would, you know, get to this movie theater before noon and go into a room and just sleep. And just sleep um, there. Until she was refreshed. So Marsha would also sleep under tables in the flower district. And when someone asked why she was sleeping there, the owners of the booth would actually say that she was holy. Um, and they would actually give her the leftover flowers afterwards, which she would use to then um, decorate and create eccentric crowns. Yeah, she said that she yeah, she liked to wear like like floral head headbands and things. Mm-hmm. Uh, Willie Brashears, yeah, a, a friend of Marsha's had a good, had a place to stay with her soon. Uh, well, now I can't read. <laughs> You're welcome, Willie. A friend of Marsha's had a place to stay with her soon. To be <laughs> soon to be friend for their suit. Okay, all right. Had a really a friend of Marsha's. Marsha's. I'm all mixed up now, and I'm sober. All right, Willie Brashears. A friend of Marsha's had a place to stay with her soon-to-be friend Randy Wicker, a Hoboken. <laughs> A, a hobo? Is that what? Why didn't you say hobo? Nobody's no. calling a hoboken anymore. No. At hoboken, what? it was a at hoboken. Oh, okay. I thought Randy was a hobo, and then I'm like, well, Randy doesn't even have a place for them to stay. No. Why is she staying with them? One cold night, Willie asked Randy if Marcia could stay, saying, "Could Marcia come here and sleep here? She doesn't mind sleeping on the floor. She likes sleeping on the floor." Marsha stayed at Randy's that night and remained there for the next 12 years. Wow, talk about a guest you can't get rid of. Yeah, so (laughs) they actually became really good friends. Um, He actually talks about her extensively in all of the documentaries that um, we've recommended. Yeah, okay. At the end. (laughs) And we will recommend. We're gonna. We're gonna tell you about them. And while Marsha was standing on the streets, people would actually stop and take pictures with her. Everyone knew who Marsha was. And she would always say hello to everyone and had a natural, genuine kindness. As we said. So, um, you know, she would always take that extra step. So instead of, you know, just smiling at someone or kind of nodding your head to acknowledge their Mm -hmm. existence or, you know, as they're walking by, she would actually take the time to stop. Hi, how are you doing? And try to, you know, if they had time, maybe initiate a conversation. She really was a character um, that everyone in that area knew and um eventually the world knew yeah and people loved her i mean you talk again like the people in the flower district like letting her sleep there and and giving her their flowers when they were done like just it's obvious that every 
person that this woman came in contact, she touched their lives. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, at this time, and even now, there was transphobia even within the gay community. People would tell her to get off Christopher Street because she was giving them a bad name. Marsha even said that some queens treated their dogs better than they treated her. They would walk past her and say, What is that? To which she would reply, What do you care what it is? You aren't giving it anything. Nice. Okay. I got it. Yeah. So, um, while the more common people in the area loved Marsha, other queens and uh, probably even other game i almost said straight gay man i meant like gay men who just were gay, gay men. gender men yes gay just there we go so <laughs> um gay gender men um you know they would really talk bad and look down on this woman who was such a kind and giving person at this time yeah. um people always fear someone that owns who they are yeah they do they, absolutely but, yeah like the majority will love them but there's always people that are intimidated by someone who's so secure in themselves and Marsha was clearly very secure in who she was right and it's unfortunate to see like within a community especially such a marginalized small community um and even especially at that time mm-hmm. when people need to band right. together yeah i mean you're already facing so much discrimination you have to hide so that you can meet up in clubs that you're not even t- supposed to be allowed to be in and you're looking down on your own community. I don't understand. I will never understand like the hatred that goes on within the LGBTQ community. Like we still are fighting so many fronts and there are people that are trans exclusionary. There are people that there's lesbians that don't like gay men and there's gay men that can't stand lesbians and the bisexuals we're, we don't want them in here and we're not going to recognize intersex and asexual people. And, and, and it's just ridiculous. Like, mm-hmm. Jesus Christ, people. We have so many folks that we have to fight. Can we just have a break and a safe space in our community? I, I, I wish so. Yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe one day. I think we're definitely progressing towards that. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, the smaller communities with, within our community are definitely still, unfortunately, experiencing those, mm-hmm. you know, negative attitudes. and that. Yeah. 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 Um. On June 28, 1969, police raided the Stonewall Inn, a mafia-run bar that had been co-opted by the LGBTQ community, as we stated. Raids on underground gay bars were common at this time, and corrupt policemen would use the arrests to black male citizens they collared during these events. On this night, things escalated quickly as tensions between both parties were high. When police demanded that cross-dressers, um, because cross-dressing was illegal, be stripped to reveal their genitalia, many of the patrons resisted, and it is at this moment that legend states Marsha Johnson yelled, I got my civil rights, and threw a shot glass into a mirror. Some people call that the shot glass heard around the world. Absolutely. Within a matter of minutes, protests would erupt out on the streets as a crowd of almost 2,000 people had gathered, because all the bars were letting out at this time, and, you know, Greenwich Village is like a very hopping area. And so people are gathering and they're seeing another raid and they knew it was a gay bar because gay bars were always being raided. And what for, would, sorry, for no reason other than the fact that they were gay. Well, yeah, they're trying to catch people like you're not supposed to be fraternizing. There, there were um, cross, anybody who's cross-dressing because it's illegal, male or female, you know, they're trying to, you know, they're just... They're just, you know, tr- again, it's just discrimination and harassing the LGBTQ community. Um, but the thing is that normally the bar would get tipped off because the mafia was paying the cops. Right. Normally they would get tipped off. But on this night, they don't know why they didn't get tipped off, why the police raided them. 
Like, mm-hmm. like they had the bar was packed jam that night, um, and uh, so they were not expecting a raid. So Stonewall is credited as the start of the gay liberation movement, though there had been dozens of protests and riots. <sighs> You're so I'm close. Gonna get through it. I'm gonna you, do this. That's, you should have had half a shot. That was your problem. No, I did have half a shot. Maybe I should have had three. <laughs> okay. Moderation. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I should have had 20. Give me the bottle. Just finish the bottle. You're good. So, Stonewall is credited as the start of the gay liberation movement, though there had been dozens of protests and riots in the previous decade. Uh, the stage had been primed and set, and the LGBT community was ready to come out in force for, the, for their rights. Unfortunately, there was a lot of internal strife within the movement, and one of the biggest controversies was whether trans individuals should be included. So, this whole riot and protest was started right. by trans women. And right, yeah, because that, that, and that, that's important because trans women were, I mean, there everybody was rioting. Um, there, it was a gay bar that was raided, but it was the trans women that were the most, like, like they're the ones who first really defied the police. And were like, no, excuse me. Now I'm burping. <laughs> it's contagious. You're welcome. Um, it, they're the ones who were like, the, um, the police are telling them to take their dresses off or, you know, right. take them up somewhere. They're like, so, take your dress off and show me your job. Yeah. And they're the ones who were fighting. And they were the loudest, um, you know, advocators and fight and uh, fighters, rallyers, rioters. They were one of some of the loudest voices at this time. So, yeah. So during the 1973 Pride March, pride, parade officials actually declared that the transgender community was um, giving a bad name to the community, and they actually tried to ban the trans marchers from participating. Mm-hmm. So, what do they do? They go straight to the front of the parade, in front of the parade line. At this point, the parade officials can't tell them anything because they're not in the parade, technically. Right, they're technically in the beginning, in the front, yeah. And so they basically make it look like they're the ones leading the parade. And good fucking job, because exactly. that's incredible. Yeah, it's just, again, back to that, like, what the fuck, guys? <laughs> <laughs> like, we're all in together, we're trying to fight, and you're like, you know what? It's actually going to hurt us now if you're with us. We really appreciated you helping us back at Stonewall when we were riding for two days and we really appreciate all the ways that you've helped us uh, advocate and get to this point but if you could just like step to the side scooch over a little bit we'd have, that would work better for us if you could kind of go back in the closet just for the parade just for the parade yeah just pretend like you don't exist um, so there's actually footage online um, we'll link the YouTube video mm-hmm you're not going to make it. <laughs> this podcast is going to have a lot of links, but they're all really good links. So, yeah, there's actually footage of Sylvia Rivera, who uh, was Marsha P. Johnson's friend and one of the, you know, Stonewall writers. Um, she was trying to get on the Pride stage all night, lo- uh, all day long, and they wouldn't let her. They wouldn't let her. So she finally was able to force her way up there. And when she gets on the stage, they start booing her. Now, this is a woman who has fought and fought and fought for gay rights, all gay rights, not just trans rights. Yeah, for equal she, rights for, uh, yeah. She basically gets up there and says, let me speak. Um, and they're booing her. Oh, yeah. She said, <laughs> <laughs> I just froze for a second. So she says, let me speak. And then she's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? And I'm probably adding some words in there. But she says, what the fuck is wrong with you? I'm the one fighting for your brothers and sisters to get out of jail. I'm the one, the one fighting for your rights. What are you doing? Yeah. 
I mean, I, yeah, we're going to do a, um, a uh, episode on Sylvia Rivera for sure in the future. But yeah, again, another incredible woman who's fighting for equality for all. From the beginning. She's From the one beginning, of the. She was there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah, and being booed off stage by her own community. Uh, in 1972, Marcia and Sylvia founded Star Street Transvestite Action Revolutionaries. It was a home for queer youth. Marcia gives full credit to Sylvia as the organizer, but there is no doubt of her involvement and devotion to the residents. The two women were the house mothers responsible for paying the rent, while the children, as they lovingly called them, found food and took care of necessities. Though Star only lasted a few years, it set a precedent and model for many shelters and homes to come. Marsha would continue in activism her entire life. So, uh, yeah, so throughout her life, Marsha would join countless organizations, um, mm-hmm. ACT UP. Um, she was part of the, the first uh, guilt, the uh, gay lesbian, um, is it guilt? The gay lesbian, it's one of those, coalition, um, liber- oh no, it was, a, it was the gay liberation Something. Foundation? <laughs> maybe, Foundation. yeah, maybe that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Gay Liberation Foundation. The very first one. That then You've heard quickly... of MILF. You've heard of DILF. Have you heard of GILF? <laughs> or, have you heard of GILF? <laughs> so, um... <laughs> um, yeah, but she, but, the, but that one, the Gay uh, Liberation Movement, like, or, um, whatever, it quickly, like, splintered off. And, like, we talked about because of, you know, some people wanted to exclude trans people. And so there was a lot of internal strife. So, yeah, she was hopping around yep and she also did a lot of work for people with aids Mm -hmm. um a lot of people during their interviews state that you know she would sit there and stay with them them when they were sick and she often said when they're when you encounter someone with aids don't be afraid of them stand as close to them as you can and show them that you care yeah and you know give them that affection that society is basically restricting from them because Mm -hmm. they're scared for no Mm -hmm. reason um, and Marsha herself was actually HIV positive towards the end of her life. Yeah. Uh, just a really a great woman. Mm-hmm. We, we keep saying it, but you know, when you find a really good person, you just got to keep saying it. <laughs> um, during the early seventies, Marsha was recruited to join the hot peaches, a traveling drag performance troupe. She also joined angels of life, angels of light, which was an offshoot of another drag troupe, the coquettes. Cause it's a real subtle name there. In 1975, Andy Warhol featured Marsha in his work, Ladies and Gentlemen. As in the case with many transgender individuals, employment was hard to find. Because of this, Marsha supported herself, like we said, through drag and the prostitution. On one brutal night, she was attacked by a client and shot in the back as she attempted to run away. She did recover. Yes, so she actually says that she thought that was the end of her life and she was extremely terrified. Um, They actually never got the bullet out. Oh really? Yeah, she, the wow. bullet stayed in her, and she like she joked about it. She yeah. thought it was so funny. Well, I don't know if she really thought it was funny, but she presented that she <laughs> well, thought it was. But funny. that was Marcia, though. Like, like she took whatever whatever lemons you threw at her. She turned around. She made a lemonade. She not only made lemonade, she made enough lemonade to serve to everyone. To give to everyone. <laughs> you know, my grandfather got shot in the head, and he lived with a bullet in his head his whole life. So and that explains a lot <laughs> about my grandfather, about your family, about my family. <laughs> Jesus Christ, don't get me started on my family. So, uh, <laughs> despite having a difficult life filled with pain and rejection, Marsha was generous to a fault. 
She earned the nickname St. Marcia and was beloved by queer communities all around the world. Whatever she had, she would just give as freely. What? <laughs> Whatever she had, she would just as freely give away. In July of 1992, Marcia went missing. Reports vary on when she was last seen, though most believe it was after a gay pride event. However, on July 6, her body was found floating in the Hudson River and ruled a suicide, but was later reopened due to suspicious circumstances. As of this recording, Marcia's case has been cold for almost 26 years. At her funeral, they had to close the doors because so many people showed up. Afterwards, the mass of people forced police to close down 7th Avenue in New York City, and the crowd marched down to the river together to spread Marsha's ashes. And that's the story of the incredible Marsha, pay it no mind, Johnson. We hope you enjoyed today's episode, and if you did, then please subscribe. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Your Queer Story, and you can also visit us on YourQueerStory.com. <laughs> and for our references today, because every podcast we like to give you some references, we have two. One is the documentary that was the main resource in our research. There's a few documentaries. There's one on YouTube. But right now on Netflix, The Death and Times of Marsha P. Johnson is available. So we really encourage you to go check that out, learn a little bit more about Marsha. The other reference we'd like to make in honor of Marsha and Sylvia's work with queer youth is The Trevor Project, which you can find at thetrevorproject.org. This organization provides resources for LGBTQ youth, and we cannot recommend it enough. If you need help, contact them. And if you're in a good place and you're looking to give back, donate to them. Again, that's thetrevorproject.org. So, stay queer. Stay trans. <laughs> and don't get a lobotomy. <laughs> don't get a lobotomy. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> and uh, if you don't hug your son, someone other man will. <laughs> Something like that. I don't know. Yeah.